Well, hello. There you go. Yeah, that works. Hey, guys, uh, just like Reggie said, thank you guys uh, for the opportunity to share with you what God is wanting to teach us today. And I I'm grateful to be here. For those of you that don't know, my name is Tony Aviles, just like <laughs> Reggie said, and I am the Grand Prairie Campus Pastor. I've been at the Grand Prairie Campus since 2013. And so there are a lot of you guys who are like, I don't really know you, and I wish I had beforehand, and that's fine. You can come visit whenever you want, just not all at once, because, you know, size difference. So uh, make sure that you, if you plan to go, just not everybody at once. Guys, my family is here with me. I'm so grateful for my family. Uh, Elizabeth is my wife. We've been married for 10 years. There's a lot of you guys that love her. Hey, feeling is mutual. I appreciate that. And I have three wonderful children, uh, Gisela, Elijah, and Isaiah. God has gifted them to us, and so I'm great, very grateful for who they are to us and how they bless us. But a lot of who I am as a dad and as a husband is because of the example that I saw in my dad. And my dad was in ministry for, really, since I can remember. And a lot of the ministry that he did, I was able to come along with. And that was a lot of his discipleship with me, was that he would bring me along a lot of the ministry that he did. And so he worked with a lot of churches in the area, and we would get to travel to them and visit them consistently. But I found out something. I noticed something. Every time I went, there was this sense of poverty around these churches that surprised me. I just didn't expect it. And I, I began to wonder, why, why does this happen? How does somebody get to that place? As, as I continue to grow in life, the, the burden to understand this has grown even more. I've asked myself, what, what does it take for somebody to come to a point in their life where they are just so desperate that they don't even know where their next meal is going to come from? They're not sure if they're going to wake up the next morning. They're not sure where they're spending that evening. They're asking themselves, what am I going to do? They're at the end of their wits. They have no more resources. They have nowhere else to go. Have you ever met somebody like that? Let me ask a different question. Have you ever felt that yourself? Has that ever been you? Are there some of you here today who are in that place where you feel no hopelessness? I mean, no hope. You feel hopelessness. You're saying, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I'm here. I don't even know why. You know, a lot of times, people in these circumstances are, are not just in poverty, but they also are, are very sick. They have difficulties in their lives because they don't have the resources to care for their own bodies. So they're trying to fend for themselves, and so they become sick, and it's difficult for them to just understand how they're going to survive. There are some times where society marginalizes them and separates them. There are even times where we as the church do the same thing. Maybe because we don't understand their circumstances, we don't know exactly what to do, so we, we marginalize them. And, and the reality is that, that God called us to pursue them. God called us to enter into their lives. He called us to pursue the poor, the sick, and the marginalized. And let me tell you that if, if you've ever felt that way and you don't have the hope of Jesus, don't even know what that is, can I just tell you I'm sorry? I'm sorry that the church has failed you. I'm sorry that we have failed you. Because we, all of us, have the hope of Jesus that, we can, that, that surpasses all circumstances Yet, when we see people in difficult circumstances, it's, us for, it's hard for us to address them. 
for whatever reason it could be. You don't know how, you don't know what to do, you don't want to do more harm than you think you will, or maybe it's just straight up uncomfortable. A lot of times, as the church, we put up with people that are in these circumstances rather than pursue them. And that's a difficult truth that, honestly, I had to come to grips with at some point. Where I just did the bare minimum to make myself not feel guilty and be okay with what I did. Yet, Jesus showed us something completely different. I don't know if you noticed, I kind of let the cat out of the bag here. There's a characteristic that we have been pursuing every single week over this sermon series. And so if you guys are coming along the journey with us, if you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, then now is the moment for you to pull out your notes, to bring out your phone, to take a picture on the screen, not of me, but hope, well, I guess it comes up here of me. So don't take a picture of the screens. But here's the truth of what uh, God wants to teach us today. Jesus pursued the poor, the sick, and the marginalized. And he gives us a perfect example of that in Luke chapter 4. So why don't you go ahead and make your way there. And as you do that, I want to let you know a little bit about what's going on in the verses right before the ones that we're going to be reading. So Jesus is about to start his ministry. He goes and spends 40 days where he doesn't eat anything. We just spent three days not eating anything. I can't even imagine what 40 would be like. Like I was physically incapable of doing things that I thought I could do. And Jesus went out specifically to be with the Father. And while he's out there, Satan tempts him, and uh, he overcomes that temptation. But I, I love the way that specifically that the Spanish version said it, because that's the one that I read first as I got ready for today's message. It says that the, Satan exhausted all his resources in trying to tempt Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus like, yeah, you did, get out of here. Now, that, that's the Tony translation. That's not what the Bible says. But I just get excited to see Jesus overcome and see him use his power against the enemy. And now he's coming to start his ministry, and I want us to step into the beginning of the story. Verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let's stop right there. It says that a report was being given of, of Jesus, and it's, when we look at that word, I want us to understand what it means in its original context. It's really talking about the fame of Jesus growing. And I love this because for us today and days, we have an expectation of what that fame was supposed to be, of how that would happen, right? Because if we think about fame today and days, we think about somebody going viral. So you've got a video that's either funny enough or witty enough or not so smart or very smart. You got something that entertains people and it goes viral. There's a, an internet personality that has become extremely famous, has millions of followers for doing a face. That's all he does. He just does this. I think that's how he does it. I might be wrong. Some of y'all can correct him. It's okay. I follow him. He's extremely funny so I, I, and extremely entertaining. But he doesn't even speak. He has transcended culture in entertainment. It is crazy. Millions of followers. That's not what it's talking about here. That's not the kind of fame that Jesus was having. You see, the fame of Jesus was because people were talking about him. They were talking about his teaching. They were talking about his power. They were talking about his authority. That's why people wanted to know him. It wasn't because he was entertaining. It's because he came with authority. So he's starting his ministry, and, and he goes back home. Let's read what happens here. Verse 16. 
he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all that in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let's focus on that for a second. Now, why, why were the eyes completely fixed on him? They, they are on the edge of their seat in expectation of what Jesus is about to say. And he pulls up a passage in Isaiah. It says that he found the place. It wasn't like Jesus came and did like, eh, right here. That's not it. He had a purpose with what he was teaching. He was eliciting a response. He was creating an image in their head. And that's the reason why they were fixed on him. They were on the edge of their seat. You see, for years, the Israelite people were oppressed. They were slaves. They, they belonged to someone else. They were under the rule, not of their own. And for years, they'd been hearing of this day of salvation, of this Messiah that was going to come to liberate them from their circumstances. And so when they hear that we're proclaiming the good news to the poor, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We're not going to experience poverty because now we're not going to be dependent on the economy of someone else. We're going to be able to build our own economy. Yes, that is great. Give me more of that good news. When it says that he, became, he came to uh, proclaim liberty to the captives, there were people who had been captive for years who were uh, in slavery, and finally they're going to get a chance to not have to live that way. They don't have to depend upon the instructions of another person. They're going to make their own decisions. When it says that it was going to recover sight to the blind, so many of them were in sickness and in difficulties because they didn't have control of their own lives. They didn't have control of their own bodies. And finally, they'll get a chance to build an economy and get the resources that they need. They say when they hear that there is liberty to those who were oppressed, they were tired of being under the rule of someone else. They were ready to be free. And so they have this very clear and innate expectation. It's kind of like when we have these big moments in our lives and we, we begin to expect them, like a graduation or a wedding day or the birth of a child. All of a sudden, you, you, you build up this expectation. So when you have somebody that talks about it, you're like, yeah, 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 tell me more. They're excited about what's going on. Yet what they didn't know is that Jesus was going to radically transform their expectations. You see, they had an image in their head, and Jesus came to tear that image down. And I believe that some of us need to be ready for that today. Because there's some of us who come to a Sunday morning, we come to a place in church, and we think that God is trying to tell us something, and we come with an image in our head of what he is going to do. We come to an expectation of what he should be doing, of how he should be working. Yet there's some of us who need to be ready for that image to be torn down. Because maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something different than what you expect in your life. Are we at a place where we can receive that? Are we at a place where our hearts are ready to allow Jesus to do what he wants to do in our lives? Not the image of we what we expect him to do in our lives. And so, he begins to tell them, verse 21, 
And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Woo! It's here! He just said that it was going to happen. I can imagine that was their expectation. That was their response, right? They're excited. They're elated at what he's going to do. They not only had the expectations of literally centuries of the history of their people that they are now not only hearing about, but the person who's talking to them has literally told them, it will be fulfilled right now in front of you. Man, that sounds amazing. But what they didn't know is that when Jesus came and talked to them about giving good news to the poor, that good news was the message of the gospel. That good news was that they couldn't save themselves, but that there was a Savior that was coming for them. That good news was not necessarily that he was going to liberate them from their own poverty, that they were going to realize that they are poor in spirit and that they need a Savior. That when it says that it was going to bring liberty to the captives, they didn't understand that they were captive to their own sin and their own darkness that was within them. And that he's going to come to bring sight to the blind. That he's going to remove the scales and help them understand the reality of their condition and how they are headed towards destruction because of the way that they're living. You see, they expected a political power. But that's not what Jesus came to do. When it says that he was going to bring liberty to the oppressed, they had no idea that the oppressor was Satan and that Jesus came to defeat him. That's what he came to do. He destroyed the image of what they thought he was coming to do. And I believe that he wants to speak to us today and tell us today, he has come for your heart. He hasn't come to change your circumstances necessarily. I ask myself, you know, God, why why didn't you just do that? I mean, I know you're powerful enough. You're the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. You, You can do literally anything you desire to do in this earth. You could change any circumstance. Why wouldn't you do that for them? And God gave me this beautiful understanding. You know, yes, God has the power. And it's not because he's not a loving God. He has the power to change all these circumstances, but all the circumstances are the superficial issue. They are not the root issue. You see, the circumstances are a result of the darkness that is within their heart. And so what good is it for him to change your circumstances if your heart is not transformed? If your heart doesn't belong to him, if your heart is not headed to a place of life? Because all that's going to happen is that as soon as these circumstances are transformed and changed, all of a sudden you have all these other ones that are going to come up because the heart is the issue. And before we can pursue anybody that is poor or sick or marginalized, we need to understand that we have a brokenness issue. We have a darkness issue within us. And that if we pursue them without dealing with what's in our hearts, we may be doing more harm than good. Because as God works in our hearts, he reminds us that he wants to work in theirs as well. And all of a sudden, you pursue them with the right reason. You pursue the poor, the sick, and the marginalized for the sake of their hearts not for the sake of making yourself feel better. That's not the reason we pursue people. We pursue them for what God wants to do in their lives. 
And we need to be willing to allow God to lead us in this. Because if not, we're just going to be doing more harm than good. We're going to end up responding in ways that we shouldn't be responding. You know, I, as I look at the Israelites, they are going to respond in that way. They're going to respond in a way that they shouldn't be responding. They're going to see Jesus, and they got excited about hearing what he had to say. But all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Isn't this Jesus? Aren't you the son of a carpenter? I know you. You have no political power. You have no way to save us. And they begin to slash back at him. Look at verse 22. I'm going to start from the beginning of it. It says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Well, that escalated quickly. I mean, punch the guy before you push him off a cliff. My goodness. What is wrong with these people? I mean, he's, he's talking about like pursuing widows who are in need and he's talking about uh, cleansing the leper. I mean, what's going on here? Jesus knew that, they were gonna, that he was going to elicit a response, but I didn't know that it was going to go this far. And so as I asked myself this question, I, I began to study and, and look into what was happening in the context of what he was saying. Because it's, it's what he was saying that was causing them to bring about the darkness and evil that was within their hearts. Look at what's going on here. Verse 25. I'm going to go back to the, to the widow. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So Elijah is in the middle of this drought that uh, Israel is going through and they have three and a half years where there's no rain, there's no crops, people are literally dying of hunger and we see that Elijah goes and and like gives resources to a widow. That sounds great. Except for the fact that the town where that widow was from was a pagan town. And if you go down further into the verses where it talks about Naaman and the Syrian, Syrians and the Jews, they didn't like each other. They were mortal enemies. They did not get along. So what's going on here is that the Israelites are seeing God operate in ways that they didn't expect. They're saying, whoa, whoa, wait, we are your people, aren't we? We're the ones who you should be saving. We're the ones that who you should be blessing. We're the ones that should be receiving what you're giving to these people. It's a dangerous place to be. They're saying, God, why are you blessing others? It's because God wanted to show them that he did not come just for the Israelite people. He did not just come for the Jews. He came to show love to all people. 
And there's so many times where we believe that God came to show love to me. And I know that's hard to believe, but I believe that many of us are at that place and we don't even know it. We can't even realize that he comes not just for me, but he came for all people. So how do I, how do I couple everything that's going on? How do I try and understand what God is trying to do here? I, I, I believe that when we come to a place of understanding that God is so much wiser than we are, he knows much more than what we know. He's going to help us understand things in ways that we can't even imagine. But just because he's not working in your heart, just because, I'm sorry, in your life, in your circumstances, just because he's not working in that doesn't mean that he's not working in the other person's heart through their circumstances. I think of the years that we were praying for my mom. My mom died about a year and a half ago of Alzheimer's. She'd been struggling it for years, over a decade, and during that whole time, we were praying for healing. And I didn't understand why, why God didn't move. I knew that it was a miracle that needed to happen, but, but it didn't happen. He didn't heal in the way that I expected. Now, he healed her in heaven. Praise God. She is rejoicing now. I mean, I remember her being an advocate right by my dad's side. And just like I told you guys, my dad and my mom were a power couple when they were ministering, and I got to see that clearly. So I know that she loved Jesus. But it is so hard to see somebody suffer. And when we ask God to move in a very clear way, and he doesn't necessarily do what I want. But can I tell you, the Lord blessed me in the midst of that. I got to see my dad be a faithful husband, a faithful minister and servant of God. I got to see him pursue others who were lost and didn't know Jesus in spite of what was going on in his circumstances. He could have quit. He could have stopped being a pastor. He could have stopped being a missionary. He could have stopped preaching the word of God. But all I see him do was be filled with the Spirit of God as he pursued my mom, his wife, faithfully. Just as faithfully as he pursued God. He understood that God was good beyond his circumstances. And that blessed me. And I stand before you today a different man because of the way that God worked in my life through that difficult circumstance. And I want you to know that God wants to work in your life now. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to be filled with love and grace and mercy. He wants you to know that he is by your side. And that even when it doesn't make sense in our heads for things to be different than what we want them to be, he is saying, I am good. I am your daddy, I welcome you with open arms. Come to me. When we understand that our circumstances don't define God's love for me, we will see that his love is greater than our circumstances. And when we personally understand that, then we can step into the lives of others to do the same. Then God can choose to use us for the sake of someone else. He can use our circumstances or even their circumstances. 
Because sometimes we go into it trying to fix what's going on when it's not our job to fix their lives. It's our job to give them Jesus. And we cannot give something that we don't understand ourselves. And when he does this, he's going to begin to call us into things that, that are maybe different than what we expected. Can I just tell you that he can call us into powerful things? He can call us into seeing his power when we pursue people with the right heart. Because when you pursue others, when you pursue the poor, the sick, and the marginalized, that has to be an outflow of you pursuing the Spirit of God. And when you pursue the Spirit of God, that alone is a pursuit of others. Because he is going to drive you to do that. He's going to drive you to see his power in ways that you can't even imagine. This is why, as a church, we're saying, let's get on our knees before the face of God and let's pray. Look, you guys heard that from Jason a couple weeks ago. But can I tell you that from from another perspective, as somebody who's leading uh, another portion of the flock here at Field of Church, he has taken me on this journey. He's taken the rest of the campus pastors on this journey as well. And we are here saying we want to see the power of God move and we know that the only way it's going to happen is when we get on our knees and we say, God, we're yours. We're yours. No matter my circumstance, no matter what's going on, we are yours. And it begins with you saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to see you move. No matter what's going on in my life. When you do that, you will see his power. That's what happened with Jesus. Let's keep reading verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, they were, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now that's powerful. And we think of this, we say, Jesus, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus, Jesus has the power to do that. Wow, that's great. It's a crazy story. That is awesome to see Jesus working that way. In no moment do we really ever think that could be us. Yet Jesus tells us that he gives us his spirit, that he had to ascend into heaven so that the spirit of God could dwell within us and that greater things than these we will be able to do. Yet we look at something like this and we're like, ah, nope. Tony, I don't know what kind of ministry you used to with your dad, but that's not us. But if we have the same power of the Spirit of God within us, why do we not see more of this? Now, I'm not trying to create a spectacle here. I'm not trying to say that you need to be going over people and like casting demons out. That, that's not what I'm saying. It could be that God calls you into that. It could be that as you hear the Spirit of God move you towards that, you could pray for somebody like this. But we cannot put the power of God in a box just because we think that we can't do something. But when we come and surrender and say, God, I am willing to see you move. Use me in whatever way you want. We're going to see things like this. And God is saying and inviting us into that. 
So many times we limit the power of God. And yet he calls us to his ministry. And notice that what I'm saying, us, right? This isn't just the pastoral staff of Fielder Church. This doesn't just belong to me, the campus pastors, Jason, Jared, Jim, everybody else, LD, all that stuff. Like, no, it's, it's not just the people that you know as a pastoral staff here at Fielder Church. It's us, the body of Christ, who has been called to enter into this kind of ministry, to enter and see the power of God through a surrender of the Spirit. And sometimes, sometimes, that's going to lead us into uncomfortable places into different things that we don't like. <laughs> the Lord showed me this in the last portion of what we're going to read today. It says in verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick in the various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I believe that we will see miracles in this church. I believe that God is wanting to show his power to us. Not out of anything that we can do on our own. But because of the move that we know he can do. Because of what we see in scriptures. Because there is a surrender to the spirit of God and no longer is it my smarts my wits that's trying to accomplish what we think that God is calling us to do. But it is my surrender that we see the power of God moving. Now, I, I, I look at Jesus, and I think about this. Like, like, he's teaching to them on Sabbath. And after he's done in the synagogue, he goes and prays for someone at their house. Now, if you guys have been a part of Field of Church, you know that the Sabbath is, is something important for us. We uh, pursue it. We encourage others to pursue it. We say that it, we, we learn from the Bible and the scriptures that it is a gift from God. So on Sundays, my family personally practices Sabbath. And when I am, am at church, I am elated to, to get a chance to be with people. It fills me with joy. I, I love it. I love to teach out of the outflow of what God is doing in my life. And I love to get to meet new people. And I love to build relationships with them but that relational equity comes at a cost like it takes energy to, to try and remember the stories of what's happening in people's lives i met a few people here today and they introduced their names and i was like guys i am sorry thank you for telling me your names it's going to be hard for me to remember so give me a chance to like get to know you guys even more they were very kind and sweet and said that's okay but when i'm leaving after church i'm exhausted when i am leaving the synagogue like jesus did right here I'm thinking I'm going home to my hammock and taking a nap. Guys, I'm not Jesus, nor do I pretend to be. There are times where I'm more focused on the gifts that he has given me, on the time of rest and all that stuff, than on the will of God. And look, Sabbath is a gift, but if God calls you to go pray for someone, then he is going to fill you with the energy that you need. He's going to fill you with the fullness of his spirit he's going to be helping you live the life that he designed for you because you will be living in his will so if he calls you to step into something that might be a little uncomfortable that might be different than what you expected that might be different than what you want that might be different than what the image is in your head it's worth it it is absolutely worth it because that is what jesus did for us on the cross he stepped into the uncomfortable 
He stepped into the painful. He stepped into a moment that was difficult for you and for me. And out of an outflow of what he's done for us, he calls us to pursue the poor, the sick, and the marginalized for the sake of their hearts. And I believe that he wants us to respond to that today. He wants us to step into that first area of obedience to pursue people. But know that before the pursuit of people, he has a pursuit of your own heart. So there may be some of you today who before you do any sort of step of obedience, the first one you need to do is surrender your heart to Jesus. I was in prayer this morning and and we were sensing that God was calling us to specifically pray for one person to go from death to life. For, For there to be a person who steps up and says, I believe in Jesus now and I didn't before I stepped into these doors. And so I don't know if that's you today. I'm not trying to manipulate anything. I'm just trying to be obedient to what God called us to pray for and I am announcing it to the people. God has called us to salvation, to surrender our hearts to him because of the great love that he has for us. The message of the gospel teaches us that we can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus, God's son, had to come down, live a perfect life, and then die the death of someone who was imperfect in our place. So he did not only what we, needed to do, what we needed to do, but he took the penalty that we deserved. And now he says, this is a gift for you, is salvation, when you put your full trust and faith in me. If that's you today, in a moment, we're gonna have people out front, they're gonna be ready to receive you. And God wants to, God wants to give you new life today. Now there are another few different ways that you can respond today. As a church, we want to help equip you to pursue the poor, the sick, and the marginalized, to pursue people. And so we have a few tools that could help in that. And guess what? Yes, they are links, so just bear with me. But you can go to fielder.org forward slash need and let us know of a need that you have or a need that somebody around you has. And this is just a way for you to, to pursue somebody. We're just trying to help in that. We're trying to equip you in that. I want you to know that over the last two years, we've been able to mobilize $50,000 for people in our community that have these kind of needs. And so if you know of somebody or you yourself are the one in need, please let us know. And we're not committing to supplying that need fully. We're just saying we want to help support in that journey and see what we can do to support you. So let us know what we can do. There's some of you who are saying, Tony, I'm not sure if that's me I'd like to hear about more ways that I can maybe step into this. Well, just like I said, the, that, those resources, that money that we were able to mobilize was 100% funded by you. So if you want to give towards that cause, you can go to fielder.org forward slash go, I mean give, sorry, forward slash give, or you can scan the QR code in the card backs that are in front of you guys, and you are welcome to go to the give portion of that landing page And as you give, you can choose the drop-down menu for compassion. 100% of those funds go to helping people. So you you can respond in that way. But I believe the only way that those tools will be effective is if you are being obedient to the call that God has placed in your heart. So all of this starts with prayer. 
all of this begins with you saying, God, what would you like to do in me? So in a moment, during this next song, we'll get a chance to, to respond in prayer. And you can pray for several different things. You, you, you can pray specifically for courage. Maybe God's calling you to give, but it's giving not out of abundance, but out of sacrifice. I'm not saying that that it is, but if it is, then be obedient because that's what God wants you to do. Maybe he's wanting you to pray for courage to actually say that you have a need. For some reason, there's guilt or shame that the enemy brings upon you. Don't let that be the case. We want to pray for you to have the courage to respond. There are some of you who have actual physical needs that right now are experiencing ailments within you and you would like to pray for healing. Our pastors are going to be ready to anoint you, not to create a spectacle. We're just being obedient to what the scriptures teach us to anoint those who are praying for and asking for healing. So allow us to do that today. There's some of you who are just broken and burdened and you don't even know what's going on. You don't even know how to respond, but you know you need to do something. <laughs> allow us to pray for clarity. Allow us to pray for God to move in a way that is so clear and direct in your life. However it is that he wants you to respond, please allow us to do that. Those of you online, we have pastors ready to respond to your request right now. So whether you fill out one of the forms or whether you uh, let us know in the chat what your prayer needs are, please let us know. However it is that you guys need to respond, let's do that now.